0: Jones for that inspiration of that opening, welcome to the NeverEnding Glory podcast. I'm your host, Luke Grilly, and as always, I'm joined by Jerry Burris. Uh, this is our second podcast, and somehow we still aren't millionaires, Jerry, so uh, number one, how are you? Number two, why are we not rich yet? Well, we have not officially
1: released anything to the public, and I think <laughs> that's the first step to getting rich on a podcast.
0: Uh, it's good to talk to you, Luke. I can't wait to talk about a little draft preview here. Yeah, we have a lot, a lot of football to talk about today, and it just so happens that we have probably the best guest uh, for this podcast and for this topic of the NFL. Joining us today is a very special guest who goes by many names. He goes by Unit Z, Fecal Matter, All Unit, All Fecal, but tonight we'll call him Sean Z. Outside New England, Sean Z is probably the biggest Roger Goodell hater, and he's perfect to have on tonight. Sean, how the hell are you?
2: beer in hand ready to talk sports i thought i was getting paid for this so kind of getting screwed here i think
0: well it's um it's one of those down down the road where we're giving you stock in the in the podcast how's that sound
2: just give me a (laughs) t-shirt
0: perfect perfect so let's jump in on this right now obviously after uh after the super bowl we had free agency startup back in february and march and a lot of players switched teams on the defensive side of the ball, you saw Malik Jackson go over to the Jaguars in a huge contract. Um, after the transition tag was pulled from him, Olivia Vernon went from the Dolphins to the Giants, and the Dolphins then replaced Vernon with Mario Williams, whose high cap number with Buffalo and the uh, the poor fit in Rex Ryan's defense led him to be a pretty bad cap casualty. The Giants didn't stop paying, and they gave Jason Pierre-Paul a one-year prove-it deal. So hopefully, with that club hand, he'll be able to get back to the quarterback, and then Janoris Jenkins was the highest paid quarterback until Josh Norman got his contract. We'll talk about him in a second. So the Giants spent a ton of money this offseason, and we've seen that happen a lot where teams spend a ton of money in the offseason, but it doesn't translate into regular season success. Finally, Eric Weddle to the Ravens. I think that seems like a perfect fit for him. He's a quality veteran who will be able to anchor that secondary. But I really want to start by the Pats. The past. huge miss by the Patriots, you know, but I didn't think he would player. have been a great fit with the Patriots uh, because you already have McCourty kind of playing center field back there. Um, but, you know, I, I think he'll be nice with the Ravens. He may be a touch overrated versus being underrated
2: two years, three years ago. Right. But I think a one year, two year type guy would have been perfect for Belichick. But he chose Steve Smith and the Ravens he over did. over your boys in Foxborough.
1: I've always, yeah, been an, right. uh, always been an Eric Weddle supporter. Any guy who plays in the secondary without wearing gloves for that long is
0: a guy I approve of. <laughs> that and the beard, right? Correct. The beard, yeah. yeah. He's um, probably a craft beer guy. <laughs> definitely is a craft, craft beer guy. Huge hipster. Um, but let's talk about Josh Norman. That was a pretty interesting situation out there in Car- Carolina. 29-year-old Josh Norman was given the franchise tag, was due about $14 million under that franchise tag. But couldn't get a long term deal done, so Carolina decided to pull that tag. He was quickly scooped up by the Redskins, and now is the highest paid cornerback in league history at five years, seventy five million dollars. Uh, Jerry, what do you think about that that signing? I mean, this had this has some nomdi Asimois awesome
1: like um, you know parallels to it. When I first saw it, uh, I mean, breaking news was was coming out that he he was not getting the franchise tag, and I was shocked i thought he was mr carolina and then this money's definitely talking it's definitely been a unique situation out there in the nfc east this year um, jenkins and and norman make the nfc east you know lockdown city on the corners there
0: um what do you and think, I think it'll Sean? be a lot of fun to see Josh Norman go up against Odell Beckham Jr. twice a year and Des Bryant twice a year. Right. Uh, those those two will obviously have a pretty hard time with with Josh Norman. Now, Sean, what did you, you think about that? You had some thoughts on the signing.
2: Uh, 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 so here's a series of hot takes. I'm not a fan of Josh Norman. I think it's a one- or two-year type situation before he falls off a cliff. Carolina is a perfect storm of a heavy pass rush, strong front seven. He can play and gamble a little bit. And it's just – it reeks of – and, Jerry, you're spot on from a non-diasemable. The team, interestingly enough, that probably would have went after him had they not signed Sam Bradford or did whatever the hell they did with him to a ridiculous deal is the Philadelphia Eagles. So they were well positioned to replace one crummy contract in Byron Maxwell, who for some reason got traded to Miami and they absorbed that contract. They could have went out and done another foolish thing and take Josh Norman. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here with Bradford with his uh, trade request and then the Eagles denying that. But as a Browns fan with their first round pick next year, I'd be lying if I wasn't going to be particularly interested in the Cowboys, Giants and Redskins, adding some pieces here and there to hopefully bottom out the Eagles for next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The worse the Eagles do, the better the, the Browns do in the long run with having the first round pick. And we'll go over that trade a little bit later on. Uh, my thoughts on Josh Norman are this. He's 29 years old. He was trying to get paid. You can't blame the player for trying to get paid. He went from a great defense, like you said, Sean, with a great pass, uh, pass rush. And generally, a great pass rush just makes a secondary's job a lot easier. Um and and that just kind of actually reminds me of the the player that you mentioned already, Byron Maxwell. He was with the Legion of Boom out there in Seattle, where I could probably be a pretty decent cornerback with with that pass rush. And he he cashed in with a huge contract with Philadelphia, and obviously that didn't work out because he only made it a year, and he was one of the worst cornerbacks in the NFL last year. So I really well, was I really also think- he was also covered by some of the
2: best in Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and right. Richard on the other side. Exactly. He, he was really, really, uh, coverages and safeties rolled over. Right. And that was a major gaffe
0: on on Philly's part. Right. And, I, and again, I, I think that uh, Josh Norman's contract and um, uh, Byron Maxwell's contract are, are very eerily similar when it comes to that, that they got paid based on uh, the guys surrounding them. And the, the teams in the NFC East made foolish mistakes. But that actually talking about Seattle leads me to another big signing. We saw Bruce Irvin go to the Raiders. This is one of the, f- the first domino in what could be a few dominoes the next few years for this once dominant defense to take a step back. Once you draft well and you have guys signed to their rookie contracts, obviously you can't re-sign everybody. Richard Sherman's gotten paid. Um, yeah, Earl Thomas has gotten paid michael bennett got paid russell wilson on the other side of the ball got paid and bruce, wagner. robert wagner got paid yep and now bruce servant's gone to the raiders so uh, you know who else can we expect to maybe be moving on from seattle in the next few years and take this team from the upper echelon in the nfl to you know maybe maybe a middle tier team well, i think cam chancellor is definitely a guy to look for a bigger contract at some
1: point he, he seems like he could be uh uh, one of those guys looking for the mercenary deal. Um, so he's someone to watch. Um, I think he's the, really the only guys in the back end. Um, the rest of their guys on the offense are really kind of mediocre. They just play really well in that system. It's hard to pick out a guy in particular. I like Michael Bennett. I think, you know, he could be one of those guys that ends up
2: cutting bait at some point, maybe joining his brother in, in Foxborough. Hey, Luke, <laughs> For That'd maybe a one to two year type deal, but well, know, he his, brother, be his brother's on, on a one out.
0: year deal right now, so I don't know how long he's how long he's got time in New England. And by the time Bennett's contract is up, or Michael Bennett's contract is up, you know, I'm sure that would be nice to see them. Uh, I, again, I don't think Martellus be be in New England next year, but I see what you're saying. Mm, interesting yeah so that that's the defensive side of the ball. Obviously we want to talk a little bit about the offensive side of the ball and we want to talk about fantasy football here in this podcast. So uh, some, some of the offensive free agents we saw Doug Martin resign with the Bucks, which was pretty much expected throughout most of the offseason. Marvin Jones signing with the Lions. He went from Cincinnati the number two or three receiver in Cincinnati and now will probably be the number two receiver in Detroit with Calvin Johnson retiring. Shocking move of Chris Chris Ivory going to the Jaguars from the Jets. I really thought that the Jags were going to be pretty happy with um, their running back situation. They had just signed um, – what's his name? I'm having a blank right now. They had drafted Yeldon. I'm sorry, yes, they drafted T.J. Yeldon. He had a pretty decent rookie season, granted he was hurt a little bit, but now with Chris Ivory going there, it's going to probably be a full-blown timeshare, which kills uh, T.J. Yeldon's redraft and dynasty value. Uh, A really nice signing I liked by the Steelers was Ladarius Green, the tight end, who was backing up Antonio Gates for the past few years. And then Cleveland's boy Travis Benjamin heading over to the Chargers. Uh, Just another blow to the... Browns anemic offense uh, but can you have a
2: blow when you're three and 13 anybody we lose it doesn't matter they all suck <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the guy that i'm not looking forward to playing or playing against the Browns, is Ladarius Green. I mean, we're so sick of seeing Heath Miller catching, you know, that six-yard ball turning it into a first down. And hearing the Heath, at least it's going to turn into a green chant or something. But I'm not looking forward to watching him tear us up this season.
2: Uh, I will say
1: that you won't hear Ladarius
2: because those idiots can't pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Let alone spell it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and so um, another Shots thing, too, is, fired. <laughs> with, with the Martavis Bryant, Bryant suspension for the whole year, Ladarius Green is arguably the number two receiver in that offense. So he's going to have a huge impact on that team. And uh, with him and Kobe Fleener signing with the Saints, Saints being a very pass-happy offense, I think you're going to see a lot of tight ends in the, you know, fourth overall tight end in fantasy to the 12th overall tight end in fantasy so if you don't get the Rob Gronkowski the Greg Olson the Travis Kelsey there's really no need to reach for a tight end in fantasy football this year I think you're gonna see a lot of guys who are gonna put up solid numbers you know 70 to 80 catches pushing a thousand yards six to eight touchdowns Uh, there's just gonna be a group of those guys So I I know one position I will not be reaching for this year is tight end. But one position that is starting to see um, another resurgence is running back in both the NFL and in fantasy football. I think arguably my favorite signing of this offseason was Lamar Miller to the Texans. He was criminally underused in... Uh, Miami for the past few years. Even last year when I remember there was one game where he had two huge long touchdowns in the first half and then they decided to stop giving him the ball in the second half. It just made absolutely no sense to me. Now Lamar Miller is gonna head over to the Texans and he's guaranteed twenty to twenty five touches the game replacing Arian Foster, Alfred Blue, and the Borg of mediocreness behind Arian Foster. Uh, what what do you guys think about the Lamar Miller signing? Sean, I know that you had some comments about Lamar Miller last year. Do you think he's a good fit in Texas? Do you think that he could jump into the top five running backs in fantasy this year? I, I don't see
2: Lamar Miller as a consistent 15-plus carry guy, and I think there's a reason why he hasn't gotten it. I think he's, he's probably a poor practice player. He's probably someone from a film perspective that when you put the all-22 on – he misses holes. Yeah, he, he's he got those, you know, four, eight, five yards of carry, um, you know, splits and, and a lot of those. I just, I'm not a huge fan. I think if, if of all the situations he could go to, though, I do agree with you, Luke, that that's probably the best situation with Kubiak uh, in what I'd imagine an offensive line that they're trying to reshape and, and build back up a little bit you know, interesting how that he and Osweiler are going to kind of play Osweiler's not as much of a dumper. Um, whereas Tannehill was, you know, 50, 60 catches with, with Lamar Miller probably, you know, was, was always kind of out there, or at least he had games where it was just dink and dunk the whole, the whole damn time. So I'm not a huge fan of him. I'm not a huge fan of the Texans overall. Uh, but you know, you guys can go and, and get all get your jollies
0: off on them (laughs) yeah the Texans their defense kind of turned around the second half and DeAndre Hopkins blossomed into a all-pro last season uh, with Brian Hoyer and Ryan Mallett and uh, Sean Sean Z throwing in the ball pretty much that quarterback situation was putrid last year Um, so so Burris you know the other big sign that Sean mentioned was Brock Osweiler Osweiler was pretty mediocre when he was able to take over for Peyton Manning and re- eventually got replaced by pretty much the corpse of Peyton Manning. With Osweiler going to the Texans, do you think that he's an upgrade over the Hoyer and Mallet experiment last season? Well, I think
1: anybody off the streets with a Gary Kubiak wide zone offense is an upgrade over those two putrid uh, quarterbacks. I, I think he is. Um, he First of all, the physical attributes are, are – are, there's not many guys like them. And Ryan Mallett was totally a mental midget. And that was his biggest downfall because he had all the skills in the world could throw the ball out of the stadium. Brock Wiles, while it doesn't have the arm that Mallett had, but he's got it upstairs. Um, it, they, it's a very quarterback happy, um, offense that they run. It's, it's a wide zone offense and they're going to run play action. and, it's not something that he has to, to make a lot of plays himself with. Um, they're going to pare it down. And, and Bill O'Brien does a great job of working with young guys and, and transitioning them to, uh, hopefully, somebody that can be a franchise quarterback for them for a while. I yeah, do think uh, they, they've got to draft the
2: playmakers, whether that's first round or second round and making some form of a play. Right. They've got to get someone else to pair up with with Hopkins. I mean, that, that guy's a beast. But I think what you're going to see in the off season is a lot of kind of rolled over coverages, even more so, and and they've got to find a two or a three option that that they're going to be able to play off on the other side of the field.
1: And there's some guys that they could add in the second round that could immediately fill in, I think, and uh, uh, be a big part of their offense. They need a they need a deep threat besides Hopkins. Cause Hopkins Will can,
2: Fuller? Yes. Yeah, uh, we're we're tracking on the same same page, Yes. There. yes.
0: Yeah, I definitely see that, and I, I think they hope that Jalen Strong can blossom into a solid number two opposite of Hopkins, but Strong got busted for pot this offseason, so obviously he might not be available early on in the season, or obviously he's busy doing other things instead of putting his nose in the playbook. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the second round. I could definitely see them taking a a wide receiver. Uh, They need a lot of tight end help too. Uh, Granted, they do have somebody from my hometown, Ryan Griffin, who uh, pretty much, allowed the Patriots to beat the Texans this last year with about five huge drops in the fourth quarter. So uh, they need, I think they could use reliable tight end as well. And also too, it's I'm not sold on Brock Osweiler. I think he can be a little douchey to be honest. He does have a tattoo. This is (laughs) the life to its fullest on his bicep. With it spelled wrong, um, it actually says "live life to it is fullest." So that's um, a great one. I mean, that's yeah. up there with "Pray for Us Sinners." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, I'm not too sold on Brock Osweiler. One really telling thing was, I just think Houston was desperate for a franchise quarterback because Bill O'Brien had actually never met Brock Osweiler before they signed that contract. So I thought it was pretty intriguing that they're willing to throw $18 million a year at a guy that the head coach had never met before. So that just kind of shows the desperation that Houston has finding that franchise guy. They've never had the guy – And, you know, maybe Brock Osweiler can be that. I think that their defense is good enough to carry them in most games. So Osweiler doesn't have to be a star. I think he'll probably be more of a game manager in the NFL. So in fantasy purposes, he's not going to be great. He'll be a nice backup for you, bi-week fill-in. And if they get another second wide receiver to play opposite DeAndre Hopkins, he might be able to be a low-end QB1. But for the time being – He's nothing more than a backup to me. So you're saying so, that I'm gonna draft him in my uh patented twelve or thirteen spot this year? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We'll probably take him the sixth round and and we'll all just pat you on the back for it. Yeah, thanks uh, for I'm, the money. Right. Noted. Or 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 one of our league mates like young Daniel will take take him as his fourth quarterback in the eighth round or something and we'll he's just trying to build in bulk. You never know. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Another player I briefly mentioned before was Kobe. We don't have
2: to worry about him listening to this either. He's drunk at some bar in Cleveland for the next
0: (laughs) week and a half. Uh, Another player that I want to talk about is Kobe Fleener to the Saints. I thought this was a great signing. Uh, When he got drafted by the Colts in the second round of the 2012 draft, That seemed like a perfect fit with him and Andrew Luck, but then the Colts turned around and they also drafted Dwayne Allen in the third round, so that tight end group got pretty cluttered. Now with Fleener signing with the Saints and Dwayne Allen re-signing with Indianapolis, both players will have a chance to blossom in their own situations. Last year we saw Ben Watson take over for Jimmy Graham, and we saw Ben Watson have a career year at age like 36. The guy had a huge year. He's, he's always been supremely athletic, but he could never put it together until he went to uh, New Orleans. So now that Kobe Fleener's there, and he's probably a little bit better pass catcher than than Watson is, what can we expect from him next year? Can we expect Jimmy Graham numbers in his prime, or can we expect a dumbed-down Jimmy Graham? Sean, what, what do you think about Fleener to the Saints? I, I'm—, I'm... Again, tracking right with you. I think you know a, a really, really
2: strong athlete um, in line outside. Uh, knows the route tree. Gets separation from linebackers. Big enough the body. You know safeties and, and most of those bigger guys in the secondary. Um, so I, I think that, you know that one in particular, Breeze. I think similar to the Patriots model, two tight ends works effectively. You can do a lot of things, particularly with Ingram in the backfield. Uh, as well as their kind of stable running backs. I, the one thing that I would kind of pivot to is what the hell is Gregson and Irsay doing in Indianapolis with not adding linemen to protect luck and then picking all these different weapons that don't necessarily fit with his skill set. It's just beyond bizarre what they've done to a premier franchise quarterback over a two- to three-year run. It just it, it doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, I thought that the the Philip Dorsett move, draft pick in the first round last year was just terrible by Grigson, especially after seeing Andrew Luck just get beat up because the offensive line was terrible, and in an the AFC Championship when, um, or just overall last year, or two years ago when LeGarrette Blunt from the Patriots just ran all over the the Colts defensive line it figures you know they they would they should definitely take an offensive or defensive lineman in in the first round instead they took Philip Dorsett when they already had just signed Andre Johnson they had T.Y. Hilton they had Dante Moncrief who stepped up two years ago Um, they had the tight ends so why why draft Philip Dorsett and just the the mantra that hey let's draft the best guy on our board instead of what we need Uh, he wasn't even the best guy on the board
2: guys a second rounder I yeah. mean, I watched the watched him play against Florida State and those were the only games that he actually popped. So he tells right. me all I need. I need to know from a work ethic perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the Colts have been making some some foolish moves in the in not only free agency, but also the draft. So it'll be really, really interesting to see if they address the defensive line or the offensive line in this year's draft. I really think they need to in order to keep Andrew Luck upright. Uh, so the last, the last free agent move I want to talk about. This is an oldie but a goodie. Mike Wallace to the Ravens. I think that when he was he was not a good fit in Minnesota. Teddy Bridgewater's not a deep throw, deep ball guy, and Mike Wallace thrives on catching the deep ball when he doesn't drop it. Of course, now he goes to the Ravens, where they arguably have the best deep ball throw in the NFL with Joe Flacco, if he is one hundred percent. So, so Jerry, what do you think about this signing? You think Mike Wallace to the Ravens is a good fit? Do you think Mike Wallace is is done? He's over the hill. Um, he's overpaid now what do you think we've we've seen this vid- this movie before with the deep ball
1: over the brown secondary from an a- uh, AFC North opponent uh, with Roethlisberger and Flacco he's just changing jerseys we um, saw it with Mike Wallace yeah with with Mike Wallace so it's 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 probably going to be more of the same we we're struggling in the back end um, and it's just going to be more of the deep ball he's he's going to be Torrey Smith uh, 2.0 but you know I don't know Mike Wallace's age but he's 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 29 lost. years old. He's 29,
0: so he's lost a step, but he's still a deep threat every time he's on the field. Right, He's lost a step, but he's probably one of the fastest guys in the NFL. So I really think that Mike Wallace is going to be a really good fantasy value this year. I think that you're going to be able to get him pretty late, probably in the 10th, 11th, 12th round. And he's going to be the number one wideout in, in Baltimore. They don't have much to work with. Steve Smith is obviously going to use the uh, <clears throat> special spray to come back from his <laughs> torn Achilles at 36. So, you know, he'll still be there on, the, on underneath. But Mike Wallace is really going to be, I think, probably the most, the biggest fantasy asset on the Ravens next year in the passing game. Well, take it from me, coming back from a torn Achilles is no fun. That's right. Sean Sean is currently healing from a torn Achilles uh, sustained during a flag football game. So, Uh, You know, again, this is a never ending glory podcast. And uh, Sean trying to relive some glory and (laughs) exactly do so. Exactly. Again, Sean is a not only does Sean have the the mental makeup for this, this podcast, but he also has the experience of never want to give up on his glory. So he's he's a perfect fit for this podcast and physical trauma willing to endure. So some other notable unsigned players, we briefly touched about Arian Foster. He's still a free agent, mainly because of his torn Achilles. Um, I really think that Seattle would be a perfect fit for him if he does get signed, They have Thomas Rawls there now, but Thomas Rawls was a rookie last year, and really, he got hurt pretty early on, so we don't really know what to make of him. The sample size is a little bit too small. I think if you bring in Arian Foster to Seattle and give him 10 to 12 touches a game, he he can have an impact in those 10 to 12 touches. Anquan Bolin, who was with the 49ers last season, is currently unsigned. He's also 36 years old, so his career might be over. I think he might get a shot in free agency or uh, right before training camp if there's any injuries to other uh, players, wide receivers, but he's nearing the end of his career. Andre Johnson. Maybe with Anquan, maybe
2: I'm missing something here, and I, I, you know, not to spin this into the Browns, but why the hell if we know we're bringing in one or two. Receivers, Aren't we going to pair it up with an Anquan Bolden and, and kind of learn in the ropes? He's a phenomenal
1: veteran that would take over that, that wide receiver. Sportsman room. of the year in the NFL. Absolutely. He's a, he's a leader on and off the field. And it would show a lot of our young guys, especially a guy like who's Terrell Pryor, who we think might actually be a wide receiver. I'm Josh very, Gordon. Very, well, if he's on the team. Um, yeah. But we need some leadership. And like you said, sportsman of the year. That's that's a strong strong compass for those young
0: guys to follow. Yeah, There's but no, guys, too. no offense. I don't think at age thirty six he's going to want to come to a team and just be the mentor. He I doesn't think want to that, babysit either. Right. I think that if anything, I really was surprised the Patriots went in, weren't in on him because they've they've always been rumored to have interested him in trade um, and. That's a team that I could see him wanting to go to because they are a championship contender. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm surprised actually that Baltimore is not in on him. There might be some bad blood from the trade to to San Francisco, Uh, but I I really am shocked that no contender would be interested in the services of Anquan Bolton. He was still decent last year. He's a contributor, like you guys said. He's a great clubhouse guy. He's half man, half machine. I mean, we've seen his face get blown up, and then he's back a week later. So, I think he'd be. I think he'd be a great asset to any team. I think that he'd prefer to go to a contending team versus a, a rebuild team like the Browns. But I, I see where you guys are coming from. I think. Yeah, I
2: think. I, I think that's fair. I'm just assuming if he's on the scrap heap and he wants to get a paycheck, right? You know, Hugh Jackson for for as much as he bothers me a little bit. I I think he is at least trying to promote a little bit of a culture um, that that would develop and and he can kind of be part of that and slide into maybe a position coach within two years too. Sure. Yeah.
0: So uh, another wide receiver that is currently on the free agent markets, Andre Johnson. Be interesting to see if anybody signs him after a poor year with Indianapolis and then Percy Harvin, who is allegedly retiring, which he'll go down as probably the not the biggest bust in the NFL, but the biggest what-if in the NFL. He was on his way to being probably one of the more dynamic players to ever play the game, and then between injuries and attitude problems, his career quickly got derailed. And now we see him unable to get a contract and probably going to be retired. At, I think he's about 28 years old. So, uh, And then finally, the unsigned player who could still have an impact for a couple teams this year, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out, is Ryan Fitzpatrick, the former Jets quarterback who is unable to strike a deal with the Jets and not willing to take anything less than it sounds like $14 million to go play with the Broncos. I, I personally think that... If I were him, I'd go straight to the Broncos and play with Denver and play on that team that just won a Super Bowl, again, with Brock Osweiler and the corpse of Peyton Manning leading them. They were essentially led by the defense. And if you put a capable quarterback, and again, I know Fitzpatrick's a gunslinger. I know he's just going to chuck it. He makes asinine plays, and I don't know if you guys know this, but he went to Harvard and he has a beard as well. I didn't know um, that. Well, now you do. <laughs> I, I just think that he would be a great fit there. Uh, jerry what do you think about that you know quarterbacks do you think you'd like would you like to see ryan fitzpatrick in denver or new york
1: um ryan fitzpatrick should be sprinting to colorado to be signing with the broncos that he could compete for the the starting job with anybody they bring in and probably win it uh, if it's him versus mark sanchez you know i'm gonna go ryan fitzpatrick so i think it's a great fit in denver if he goes there Awesome,
0: I agree. I agree. It, it looks like he'll probably sign with the Jets, but uh, the other option is Denver. So I don't have
2: anything to add other than I want to punch John Elway in his horse teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's it.
0: Thank you. That's all we need. That's all we need. So, <clears throat> so with the signings, there's also been some offseason trades. Again, we just talked about the Broncos. Mark Sanchez was traded to the Broncos from the Eagles. That'll be interesting. I think Sanchez is a game manager, and he might see some time in Denver this year. Uh, my Patriots traded Chandler Jones, who's one of the better young defensive ends in the league, for bust offensive guard Jonathan Cooper, uh, formerly of the Cardinals, and a 2016 second round pick. We can talk about that a little bit more later. But the big offseason trade, again, involving the Eagles, who were very busy this offseason, was DeMarco Murray to the Titans. Sean, what do you think about Demarco Murray to the Titans? Think that'll be a good fit for him after a down year with Philly?
2: Well, I mean, Burks can his honk is is for Mariota. I'm I'm not a huge Mariota guy. I do think of of kind of the running backs available and a bounce back. I think actually that's a pretty pretty good fit. They still have some things to shore up up front, maybe a front seven guy on defense, but that team might be able to kind of turn it around fairly quickly in a defi- division that is kind of. With the Colts doing what they're doing, and and kind of the other teams just kind of muddling around, maybe Jacksonville coming up a little, uh, they've got a chance to kind of flip around to 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 an eight and eight, nine and
1: seven type season. Jerry, I don't know your point you, of view from Mariota. You really think? Uh, I really think you took the words out of my mouth because I think Wisenhunt's offense is a perfect fit for what they're trying to do. They're not trying to make Mariota, you know, run an an Oregon style offense. They're really trying to get him to, you know, get a downhill running running scheme. They're trying to make some easy throws, get him out of the pocket, move him around a little bit, but pair him with Demarco Murray, and they have a strong offensive line that they're rebuilding, and they're going to add probably uh, another offensive lineman in the first round. Um, That's that's an offense that can make some noise in the AFC South. And like you said, Sean, the, the. The Texans are, you know, they they seem like they're on the downslope a little bit. And the Jaguars are improving a little bit. And the Colts, I I mean, you already talked about what Ursay and those guys are doing, and it's just befuddling. I think the Titans might be second, maybe even, you know, on their way to first in the division. So I I think it's a good pickup. It's not going to hurt
0: them, that's for sure. No, I think DeMarco Murray is probably the best running back they've had since Eddie George. Um, The the Titans really... I think they made out in this trade. I think that DeMarco Murray, being in Chip Kelly's system, didn't do well for him. I just think that he's one of those running backs who needs 20, 25 touches a game to get going and wear down the defense. He's a bigger, strong guy. Um, he obviously had that amazing year with Dallas two years ago. So I really like that trade. I think that that offense is getting it's getting nice. And the defense needs some help, but they have plenty of, plenty of draft picks after their trade with St. Louis Uh, in the first round so we can talk about the trade in just a second but what I do want to talk about before we get there are the offseason retirements we saw two one first ballot Hall of Famer and another player who I think has enough tape to make him Hall of Famer but I'll let you guys discuss first off is obviously Peyton Manning he is the first ballot hall of famer he's the ESPN golden boy he's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game as a Patriots fan I hated him but I respected him Uh, but uh, Peyton Manning's career is now over but I do want to talk about Calvin Johnson who I don't want to call it shockingly retired because of the history with Detroit um, but he did file his retirement papers I, I thought that this was going to be Uh, a ploy by him in order to either get traded or released i thought it was gonna be a power move because of how pathetic detroit's been but apparently he said i've made enough money i'm done being injured all the time i want to hang him up so sean do you think that calvin johnson's done enough to become a hall of famer
2: yeah Uh, i i think the problem with the hall of fame though right now is they've got a major quandary at wide receiver. And if you look historically, you know, someone like a Lynn Swan or something that's in the hall of fame, uh, compared to some of these modern day players where, yeah, there's, there's the natural bump for the era, uh, similar to the issues with, with baseball with steroids. But I think if, if you talk about what Johnson did against the best players in the league, double coverage for a sad sack of a franchise, I, I think the body of work is there as well as just what he meant and how he was respected by peers. I, you know, if you go around and pull corners over the past decade, he's in the top three, probably for at least seven to eight years of of his playing career, which I think that's a testament uh, to, to how he was viewed and how coaches respected him.
0: I agree. He was, he was just a physical freak. He was, six six ran a four three forty or something foolish like that um he he even dominated georgia tech and they barely even threw the ball uh burris you usually take him in the first round every year Uh, what are your thoughts on on calvin johnson he still might um i i think he's
1: a i don't know if he's first ballot there's you know a little bit of a log jam up there with like terrell owens and some of these other guys that are still kind of lingering around from the late '90s and early 2000s, but he's definitely a second ballot. Um, he's he's going to be in, and he's got the stat line to prove it.
0: Question, Burris: Do you take who 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 would you choose, Terrell Owens or Calvin Johnson? Right now, oh, um, right. Now.
1: I got to pick. I got to pick Terrell Owens um, from a yardage standpoint, and catch standpoint, and touchdown standpoint. His stats are up there with the all-time greats. No okay. rings, most. You know, terrible human being off the field when it comes to attitude and personality. But if you just go from stats and didn't know what the name was, you got to pick T.O.
2: I think we need to have a little perspective with T.O. For as big of a dick as he was, at least he's not, you know, any member of the Baylor football team, apparently, <laughs> uh, among, you know, Josh Gordon or some of these others. So I think as time goes by, we're actually going to reflect back on Chad Johnson and Terrell Owens and think that they might have been a little bit more Boy Scout than we
1: realized. They were breath. They were a breath of fresh air. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that I think T.O. and Chad Johnson got, got a bad rap and it was a little little over-exaggerated how bad of a guy they were and and once the the media really started piling on them it just got to the point where they were the bad guy no matter what so i see your point i think that to to and calvin johnson are both cut from the same cloth they're just both physical freaks and, and and both had great careers and um you know i think that we'll see a lot more wide receivers making it to the hall of fame as the passing game gets more and more prevalent in the nfl hey like mz18 says great receivers are supposed to be selfish there you go there you go (laughs) so we have a draft preview that i want to talk about i touched upon the tennessee trade tennessee trade the number one overall pick and a 2016 fourth round pick to st louis for the 15th overall pick two second round picks in 2016 a 2017 first round pick and a 2017 fourth round pick Uh, That was quickly followed up by the Browns trade of the second overall pick and a 2017 fourth round pick to the Eagles for an eighth for the eighth overall pick Philly's third and fourth round pick this season Philly's 2017 first round pick and philly's 2018 second round pick so a lot of lot a lot of things going on uh with the first two picks of the draft and there's potential for more trades to go down before the first round of the draft on thursday sean i know you have a lot to say about jeff fisher and this move so i'll let you take it away
2: all right so this is just hit record and let me roll jeff fisher is a complete moron He leveraged the whole L.A. thing into probably buy himself two, three more years because he gets a quarterback. So I guess in some way he's not stupid. He's just not a winner, and he's really kind of never been. He won down year, for I think, for the Pats, was able to get Tennessee into the Super Bowl. And for some ungodly reason, the Rams didn't blow the doors off of him. That said, we won't kind of dive into them. What everybody wants to talk about is the Cleveland Browns. Absolutely. I think it's quite simple. This is an accumulation – and actually, if I was looking at eight, I'm hoping that there's Tunsell. I'm hoping maybe Bosa. I'm hoping there's one carrot there, maybe Elliott, that the Raiders or the Tennessee Titans coming back up for maybe a Ronnie Stanley. I want something like that, move back to 15, maybe accumulate another pick or two for next year. And a guy, you know, a wide receiver like a, uh, Josh Dodson, Corey Coleman maybe a Laquan Treadwell. I think they've got one of those guys they like, maybe another, and I think that's that's probably the best move on the Browns. The other big thing with the Browns and those that are, are kind of avid Browns fans know this free agency or lack thereof has actually been very kind of intentional. They're accumulating at least a couple, third and fourth, compensation picks next year so that's a market inefficiency that still the nfl hasn't fully defined and teams like the steelers and the ravens and the patriots as well as kind of the seahawks over the past five six years have accumulated picks and players in the top 100 top 120 by going through that process of letting some of their 28 29 year old free agents go a year too early Richard Seymour for the Pats is, is a perfect one. A little blast to the pass there, Luke. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the type of scenario that they have to really do. They've got to find a way to, to pull two, three starters at least in this year and then build some quality depth, some nickel package guys, some guys, you know, specialist pass rushers, and then the same thing for next year when – Candidly, they're going to be in the top five picking a quarterback, and they got Philly's pick, and there's a deep, deep running back draft next year. So you can start to build some playmakers next year, but they really have to look at this over a 24-month lens.
0: Well, and I, I think that, that brought up some great points, Sean. I just think the big thing here, though, is they got to draft right. Their Their drafts the past few years have been... Not great, especially in the first round. We've seen it's the not great. Pick oh and my God. Gilbert
1: pick. <laughs> yeah, burst was throwing up in his mouth. Like, <laughs> and not as, good is the most understated thing I've heard in the past hour. Yeah, right? we're trying to do this PG thirteen, right?
2: Because yes. I can go,
0: I can give you an actual description of it. <laughs> well, let's not let's not keep it. Let's let's not make it too gangster. All right, um, I get how bad it's been. As an outsider listening to you guys talk about the former first round picks. Um, You know, I understand where you guys are coming from. I just really think that in order to make this this trade pay off is you gotta pick the right guys. And that might be, you know, very easy for me to say, but let's hope the new regime can actually pick the right guys. Do you have any faith, Burris, in Sashi Brown putting together the Sashi. (laughs) Putting together the the right draft board? Uh, sushi brown
1: no uh is these that's how the old people i always hear get referred to as i i like what they're doing i think between with hugh jackson and brown and, and the front office they're they're really trying to mix it up and do something different they're they let a lot of guys go that you know were sucked. On their, a sucked and b were in the twilight of their career i mean i'm not going to miss carlos dansby and dante whitner uh, Um, and let's see what they can do. Cause God forbid we win three games again next year. Like Sean's right. You have to look at this as a two to three year plan. And I know that's the worst thing you can say in Cleveland is just keep waiting, you know, wait till next year. But it's true. It's absolutely
0: true. And well, we'll ownership, but will ownership be able to wait two to three years? Because we saw Mike Patine be the head coach <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, he, like two years later, he's gone because none of his players, they, they, it didn't work. But he didn't have time to really build the team that he wanted. And we see um, a guy like Gus Bradley in Jacksonville who's been pretty bad the past three years, or at least from their team standpoint, they've been pretty bad the past three years. But Jacksonville's an up-and-coming team. What? So I think the one thing they have to do is they have to preach patience in Cleveland which I understand if it's been 60 plus years since you won a championship so it's very hard to preach patience but will this, will the owner of the Browns allow Sushi Brown to, to <laughs> and Hugh Jackson the time to let this team blossom into maybe potentially a contender in the
1: AFC North as crazy as it may sound the best thing that may have happened with the Browns front office is D. Haslam being around a little bit more <laughs> Uh, Jesus. she she's not a panic artist the way that jimmy is uh jimmy jimmy sees you know the slightest thing that goes wrong and wants to blow the franchise up now I, and that's being a little facetious sean uh i don't know i it's, they're so you know inconsistent and you know kind of you know impulsive up up in the front office i don't know what to make of it you know knee jerk completely
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of that's just a lot of pressure from the media. But we'll talk about the Browns a little bit more later on. But let's talk about the team they made the trade with, the Philadelphia Eagles. They gave up a ton to either take Jared Goff or Carson Wentz, assuming Carson Wentz is going to go two and Jared Goff is going to go one to St. Louis. Um, They gave up a ton for a quarterback that has a lot of question marks. And they've already... I don't want to say they have a great quarterback depth chart, but they have $34 million committed to Sam Bradford and Chase Daniel. So, so why make this move when you have two capable quarterbacks? Why mortgage your future when you have two guys who you just committed a ton of money to and you're probably going to take another quarterback? We just Sean, said, you... well, I was going to say, we just said panic artists, and, and the Philadelphia Eagles
1: are, are prime examples of being a panic artist front office. Well, I mean, they did
2: that with bringing Kelly in, then allowing Kelly full control for a guy clearly that needed a check and balance. And then they go and panic and allow Howie Roseman full control. And that's how you end up with a roster with three quarterbacks or soon to be quarterbacks with a huge cap number. And maybe the the, the best one for them next year, as far as competing in that division and in that conference is probably Chase Daniel. And I don't know that I don't know why the hell they picked him up. And the other thing, if I'm an Eagle fan, I'm now hitching wagon to a guy that played at North Dakota state. And for (laughs) as much as he can look good in shorts and t-shirt and he can make some throws, I I just, I don't, I don't know how you can do that at two for what bounty they gave up. I, it just, to me, looks like they could be heading over the next couple years in the wrong direction unless they, they hit a home run with the late round draft pick or somebody on the edge, they don't have a lot of skill position players. They've ran those out of town because they were the, you know, apparently the, the wrong race for Chip Kelly, but it, Hot take. it, just, it doesn't make any sense. It, it just, I, I don't really understand. You're either going forward or you're going backward and they're trying to kind of hang around in the middle, I guess.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I didn't like the move. Uh, If they're going to take a quarterback, I I really don't like that. And you don't make a move in today's NFL for anything, but a quarterback or franchise left tackle, but, or I guess, I I guess a franchise quarterback, but the problem with Goff and Wentz is, is I don't see either of them being a franchise quarterback. Um, I think that if they stayed at eight, there's a chance that one of those guys could have slipped or they could have taken a chance on a Paxton Lynch. But, um, you know what? What'll be really interesting would be is if they did this, if they made this move to not take a quarterback, but to jump Dallas and take a player like Ezekiel Elliott. You guys have, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and and that's a rumor I've seen on on the interwebs a little bit here and there. And I think it'll be terrible, a terrible move by them to take Ezekiel Elliott. And they've come out and said they're taking a quarterback, but could that be smoke and mirrors? Um, imagine, imagine if they moved up. To number two, and gave up all that they gave up to take a running back in 2016. Would would the city of Philadelphia just blow up or what? Uh, you know who else likes that move?
1: Uh, the janitor at my work. He, he said <laughs> when well, we were picking it too, we should be taking uh, Zeke Elliott. So I, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say that what Philly would do. Riot? No, I don't know about that, but definitely be the camera can't pull away from people in Philadelphia Eagles jerseys when they have the draft in Chicago that's for sure
0: yeah so we talked about Goff and Wentz at to the top of the draft likely Goff to the to the Rams and Wentz to the Eagles but there's some other players that'll be interesting at the top of the draft Jalen Ramsey from Florida State is arguably the best prospect in the draft he can play safety he can play corner uh, we got we got uh, Ezekiel Elliott, who we talked about, um, I I really think Zeke's going to be going to Dallas at four, or maybe even the Ravens. And then we got Laquan Treadwell. So, I mean, Sean Treadwell, what do you think about him? Ran a pretty slow forty at the combine. Yeah, you know, he, he's probably of all the
2: receivers I struggle with the most. I'm not a huge fan of SCC DBs. Systems they run versus old Misses system. There's a little bit, you know. Is he Mike Evans? Uh, obviously not without the size. I don't really know with Treadwell. I, I have a tendency. I think between Dotson, Coleman, I, I, I just between all three. I probably put those two ahead. It's not kind of a popular take. I also am not sure that any of them are top ten. Although if the Browns took one at eight. And they just went and got the guy that, that they thought was the best of, of the three. I'll kind of be comfortable with it, I suppose, just because, I mean, we lost Travis Benjamin. And Travis Benjamin was our best receiver. So, Treadwell, I'm kind of a little lukewarm on Um I think he was maybe faster before the, the knee injury. You know, then again, those knee injuries have a tendency to take 18 months. Maybe, you know, by the summer he's a little bit quicker too. So I like his size. He's not as big as people think, though. He just plays real upright and tall and a little bit bigger for his frame. Um, but, you know, so does Josh Dodson. And I. Corey Coleman definitely plays bigger than his frame. He's got a little attitude to him too, which – you know, for the right team is is kind of a fit. My brother thinks he's Steve Smith, um, but just a little bit bigger, which is high price.
0: Well, with, with Treadwell, what was interesting uh, in the Dynasty fantasy community going into this past college season, many saw him as a clear cut number one guy. In, in, the, in this year's upcoming fantasy drafts uh, for rookie-only drafts. Many thought that he was going to be like the next Amari Cooper, the next short thing. I think he, his, his stock obviously took a hit, and, and Zeke has definitely jumped up above him as a first overall pick in Dynasty rookie drafts. And, and Josh Doxson might have jumped into number two. Uh, it really depends, obviously, where all these players go, and we'll know a lot right. more Thursday and Friday. But I think Treadwell will be a nice fit for Minnesota, later on in the first half, uh, first round, he just seems like a player that they need a solid possession guy that that, you know, he's not a burner by any means, but uh, if he can consistently move the chains, I think that's exactly what a team like Minnesota needs. So you also mentioned um, Josh Doxon and Corey Coleman, and those are two absolute definite targets for the Browns. Uh, Burris do you think that there is a chance that the Browns take one of those players at eight or maybe they go back into you know trade back into the teens and take a wide receiver there I hope that they're not
1: moving you know back to eight to just take a, a wide receiver that they probably could have got you know eight more picks lower uh, I like what what Sean said earlier about trying to move back with the Raiders or even the, the Titans again um, I, I could see the Titans trying to get up to eight and then you know trying to get tonsil so uh, I think there's guys that that are gonna be unsexy uh at our pick like I could see us going after a tackle like like Ronnie Staley oh. from Notre Dame and Jack Conklin from Michigan State and it's not gonna be the sexy pick at all and that's not addressing one of our major needs but with this front office, you know they might value that left tackle or right tackle in, in a way that we don't like his fans i mean we have to replace mitchell schwartz who statistically was one of the best in the league last year on a crappy crappy offense so uh i don't know if they're gonna they're gonna stay at eight and then try to take a receiver i i have no idea it's it's so hard to say with this front office if we take a tackle or an offensive lineman at eight
2: jerry i'm storming out of your house there's gonna be or i'm burning it down and i'm well i vote everybody in it Burn it with down. everybody in it no more podcast
1: <laughs> you want to turn my house into a waco we're situation? not playing
2: in the jonesy invitational because <laughs> I'm, I'm sacrificing anybody that that's in attendance
1: and i agree with you i agree with you i i just want it's going to be interesting to see what falls into our lap we really have a situation where we could have no idea we could have miles jack sitting there and then he doesn't play for us so it it could be anybody Oh, Miles Jack! If he goes to Baltimore, will be a
2: perennial All Pro. If he comes you know to Cleveland, will. he plays sixteen months and shreds a knee up again, and he's hobbling around Euclid Avenue. Completely,
0: ladies and gentlemen, this is this is the the Cleveland talk I'm used to, and God damn it, do I love it! Um, last guy I want to talk about in this rookie draft before we move on to our respective teams is Joey Bosa. Where is he going, Sean?
2: I, no idea. I, in a 3 4, he's a tough sell for the Browns. I know there's some folks that, that like him. Um, can he be Paul Kruger? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that he's athletic enough. I just know he does have a soft spot for any. I, as an Ohio State grad myself, him and Zeke, damn, those two were pretty doggone good. Uh, as far as I, you know, back to Eddie George and, you know, the late Will Smith bosa was as dominant this year without numbers as as any player that i think i've i've witnessed and if you you pop the tape you you see triple and chips and then double with the back behind Uh, he just he took so much attention Uh, can that translate in the nfl he's not jj watt from immeasurable but gosh dallas um, if you're looking at them at four and They've got some guys suspended. That makes a ton of sense. I love their mentality of building up front on both sides when they've got playmakers already, um, like they do. That makes sense there. Jacksonville doesn't make a ton of sense. Unfortunately, that team over in Baltimore makes a lot of sense for he, maybe a Tunsil or a Ramsey slipping. That's probably the worst thing about these two quarterbacks going one and two is at six – the damn Ravens are sitting there and they're going to get a good player. I'm hoping they take Jack and for some reason he thinks he's in Cleveland and shreds his knee up or something. Um, (laughs) that's just, that's just how brutal I think. And, and, and I'm not ashamed to admit it.
0: Jerry, what do you think about Joey Bosa as a Ohio state? Uh, I don't know if you're an Ohio state fan, but you're immersed in the Ohio state culture out there Um, in Cleveland.
1: Hearing urban Meyer call him the one of the top three best players he's ever coached is high praise. I mean, he's, he's coached some good ones with, with Tebow and and the murderer, uh, Aaron Hernandez. Um, And like you said, you put, you watch the tape and he's getting doubled and tripled and it it doesn't matter. He's still getting to where he needs to be. He's, he's a sideline, to sideline guy. I think he could play in a four, three or a three, four. Uh, He's probably better suited to play as an edge rusher. And then um, with his hand down in a four, three, but then move around a little bit uh, on pass rush. But uh, it's like Sean said: if he goes to Baltimore, we're gonna be we're gonna be pissed uh, yeah. in Cleveland. I, I
2: think the best scenario maybe for him, and I know the guy's not there, but he can kind of mimic his his career potentially is San Francisco and, and replacing kind of Justin Smith. That team's light years away. They're probably gonna look to trade back or accumulate some assets. But he could be a guy that, that could fit for them um, and, and make a lot of sense.
1: I think he's he's definitely a little bit more athletic than Smith, but yeah, he's that's a great fit for him.
0: So those are the top rookies that we see going uh on, on Thursday. It'll be really interesting to see how that all pans out and how it shakes up. There's always one of those picks that we're like, huh, where did that guy come from. Uh, you know. We mentioned Philip Dorsett last year. Um, so I'm sure that I would love to see a non-quarterback taking one of the first two picks to really just make ESPN blow up. And, you know, after all this talk that they've been reporting, uh, it would just be great to discredit ESPN somehow. So, so I got uh, a couple if, I got a couple sleepers for the draft. If you guys want to hear
2: it and be sure maybe even get a little get get some thoughts from you. Ogba. Um, from Oklahoma State, Jaron Reed from Alabama, two defensive ends, more pass rushing specialists. But, you know, Luke, you mentioned someone earlier, a Bruce Irving. One of those two guys is a perfect replacement for Seattle so that they don't skip a beat. You get a guy at a low number. They brought Clark in from Michigan last year. Now he's slotting in and playing, I guess, a linebacker from what I've read. So he slimmed down. So there's a natural hole there. And I can see you know maybe even a Sean Spence if, if, uh, or um, it, you know if he slipped a little, um, maybe a Kevin Dodd, but I, I, the two that stand out are Ogba and, and Reed to me. I don't know, Jerry, if you've followed them at all from, from the college football season.
1: I'm, I'm not as familiar with, with those guys. Um, it, that once you get down past 15, I, I, who knows at that point when it, when it comes to who's going to be there. Well, it um, comes down to, you know, elite scouting.
2: And I think yeah. that's how you end up with the brew serving. That's how you end up with, with some of the guys that, you know, Pittsburgh's gotten over the years, you know, Timmons yeah. as well as others. So a lot of it starts to hinge on you guys they like, they target. And they kind of slip, slip kind of past the cracks a little bit.
1: And I, and I will say this: like it seems like this year, you know, every draft kind of has the the profile of a certain type of player that's really deep. And this year, it's, it's interior and, and pass rush. It seems like you can't mm-hmm. find enough defensive linemen, and somebody's going to get first round talent, you know, in the twenties or thirties, that or even maybe in the forties. Oh, so quick quick rundown. I mean, you got Kim Diche, who might be a second rounder because. That
2: dude might be insane. He likes a little uh, you
1: spice. Got, <laughs> you got
2: Rankins, Bullard, Robinson, Butler, Billings. I mean, that's just you know some of them. And you still got Collins from Nebraska, uh, Clark from UCLA. There, there's tons of depth there, just at defensive tackle. Knows. And then you've got a ton of pass rushing guys that could play the 3-4 end, could play the 4-3 strong, maybe even a, a, the backside pass rush. you got a couple guys like Reggie Raglan who can play inside on a 3-4 but also come out wide and rush the passer maybe in a nickel package. And so there's a lot of that. There's Josh Perry and, and you know, Miles Jack is, is another guy. You know, I'd have to see his, his knee and, and kind of feel pretty doggone good. But, you know, another guy later around, Scooby Wright, middle linebacker, Arizona. Um, Jalen Smith for Notre Dame, uh, you know, we've got some Notre Dame friends. The unfortunate thing is he came back for a year because that guy was a top-ten pick last year, and he's cost himself a ton of money, and by all accounts, everybody raves about him. The Notre Dame guys, you know, talk really, really highly of him from everything that they follow with the team. You know, that's that's really sad because if he's got nerve damage and he's sliding to a second and third round, it, he pretty much needs to to find the right medical staff for him to be successful moving forward. And he's one of those guys where you may have to limit the bullets and the gun. So, you know, hold him out of practices and, and be kind of a little bit more strategic. But as far as from a talent, before he got hurt, he's a top three pick. It's mm-hmm. just he plays a position that, you know, isn't as glamorous. But when you had a Derrick Brooks or someone like that, you can win a heck of a lot of games as Tampa Bay did. And, and that might be a, a comp when healthy.
0: Hey, it's a lot, a lot of college talk we got here. Um, it, it's a lot, a lot can go down on Thursday and Friday. So it'll be really interesting again to see how, how it shapes up. Thank you, Sean, for your, your in-depth knowledge and in all things college sports. So let's, let's flip it over to the pros. Now, uh, big news out of Foxborough burris you want to take this away this
1: is uh it's funny we do our our write-up for what we want to go over and uh, we were pretty much done and then out of nowhere popped up uh on the on the ticker about the four game suspension of of mr tom brady uh and immediately i went to read what the the judges said and i pulled some quotes that i want to read for uh you know the patriots number one fan over there uh there's a couple that stuck out to me. Uh, I know your your boy, Chief Judge Robert Katzman is a dissenter. It was a two to one decision, and he said, "I'm troubled by the commissioner's decision to uphold the unprecedented four game suspension. The commissioner failed to even consider a highly relevant alternative penalty." End quote. Um, it, it's, I think it's, I think I agree in Cleveland. I think most people would go with Brady here and say this is an asinine penalty um the the funny part is to us that we have to play you guys week five in Cleveland and uh we're hoping that Luke can can be here in person um Luke immediate reaction what do you what do you you know you're in New Hampshire you're you're you know what half an hour 45 minutes from Boston and this is resonating all over the the country not just in in New England
0: right yeah, I mean, we're to be honest, we are in New England up here, as is most of the rest of America. We're done with DeflateGate. We're we're tapped out. It's been over a year since the story broke that balls were deflated in the during the the Colts AFC Championship game. Um, obviously, our tolerance to this as New Englanders is a little bit higher than people outside of New England because it's about our golden boy, Tom Brady. You know, it's it's frustrating. Um, we can I'm just I'm I'm over it. I'm honestly I'm over being upset about Goodell being judge, jury, and an executioner. He he has too way too much power from the CBA and I think what happened honestly, I think that a lot of teams are are realizing it. I, I tweeted I tweeted something out this afternoon from our from our Twitter handle, Glory Podcast, and It said something along the lines of there's 10 10 officials in the NFL or 10 teams are are at the point where they're siding with Brady and the Patriots, even though they can't stand Brady and the Patriots. They just realize that the penalty is just unheard of. There's absolutely no precedent for it. But, you know, unfortunately, we're past the point of whether or not it's it's. He deserves a four-game suspension for allegedly being involved with – or knowing about deflating balls and destroying his cell phone. Now we've gotten to the point where the judge – the the um, the court is deciding whether or not Goodell has the right to uphold this unprecedented penalty and – Right now, there have been two judges that say, yes, he can do whatever he wants. And there have been two that say, no, he can't do what he wants. Uh, Judge Berman in New York City, in the second district court, he originally said that um, he was one who overturned the four-game suspension and then eventually got this kicked up to and this also party with uh, Robert Kraft two days later. Right. Well, that's that. You know, don't worry about it. Um <laughs> But that's but you know that's that's two to two. And we, we had one judge here who again, agreed with the Brady side. So it'll be really interesting to see what Brady does here if he goes up to the next um, level, which is um, I forget what the exact term is like called unbunked or something like that. It's and then, the full circuit panel
2: essentially. Right. Uh, and the one dissenting judge is actually the the lead or the head chair of that entire panel. They can decide whether or not they want to hear it, as would the Supreme Court, and I would highly doubt that the Supreme Court will hear that. But the stay is the next thing here within the next 10 days that basically the PA has got to file an appeal so that they can get a ruling on whether the stay is in place.
0: Right, and I'd, to be honest, I'd be disappointed if this went to the Supreme Court because there's there's bigger fish to fry for the Supreme Court. Uh, they shouldn't be worrying about deflated footballs and whether or not Roger Goodell. Granted, the NFL is one of the biggest corporations in America, so they do have some interest in it. But it's just one of those things where there's there's bigger issues for them to worry about. So, you know, at this point, I I, honestly, I don't think that Brady is going to miss any time in 2016. I think that there's going to be a stay and it'll be pushed out to 2017. But it's it's really interesting because the Patriots obviously knew that this was coming down because they modified Brady's contract. So instead of losing two million dollars by missing the first four games, he misses. He loses two hundred thousand dollars by missing the first four games. So. Obviously, they knew something was going down, and they told Tom, hey, let's maybe as a sorry for throwing you under the bus in, in the beginning of this whole situation. Um, they decided to redo his contract, so it worked out better for him. But, you know, at this point, uh, get Jimmy G ready if we need to. But I, I really think that Brady, this will get pushed back into 2017, and we're going to have another full year of friggin' deflate gate hanging over our heads, which is just asinine.
2: Well, and I, I think there's a bigger bigger issue here from a Goodell perspective. And unfortunately, the NFL Players Association is one of, if not the weakest union of them all, pretty damn close. If this is the major league, there's a concerted effort um, to sit out or do at some point when this, this has hit the tipping point that it has with Goodell and so many of these issues there probably would have been already a, an opening day sit-in or something kind of um, collaboratively done within the union. It's just the NFL is just so fractured. It's such a short period of time to play, and it, it's just they don't have the unification that, that they do um, from from Major League Baseball Players Association. That, that would be the one thing that it will never happen, but that would maybe actually get some change because they're going to keep holding on to Goodell having all of this full autonomy and power. And we're going to keep getting this. And it's just a matter of time before the next fan base and the next fan base. There's just too much control. There's no oversight. This guy is, is being paid by the owners and everybody thinks he should step down. He's getting 35, 40 million a year and he's, he's bringing it in barrels for these guys and he's making it a year round sport with all these stupid headlines. So, uh, I mean, I detest Roger Goodell. I wish he could contract bubonic plague. I just, (laughs) everything about him is a corporate lackey. He's a shill. He's a politician. He's punchable in the, in the like of like a Ted Cruz. He's just (laughs) as sniveling and lying as, as a Hillary Clinton. So just to play both sides of the political aisle there, I, I just, I openly detest him. I cringe every time I think or look of him. I want to punch him in the face. I wish he'd come to Canton and do the draft so I could go there and be on the big screen, throwing double barrel middle fingers up, but I
0: digress. <laughs> I don't want to go too hard in on him. Uh, you know, he pulls no punches. It's was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Um, so I mean, what else can we really say about the ruling? Uh, if, if, if Brady misses four four games, his fantasy value plummets a bit, but you'll still see him going probably in the seventh to ninth round, but just taking another quarterback to make up for it. It'll be interesting to see how it impacts Gronk, how it impacts um, Deion Lewis when he's healthy, how it impacts Martellus Bennett, because... If Jimmy Garoppolo can come in and be a solid quarterback, it won't be the end of the world for those players' values. But obviously going from Tom Brady to anybody is, is a huge hit to their value. Um, so other moves the Patriots made this offseason, and, and they were pretty busy this offseason. First off, the, I'd say the major move is the Chandler Jones trade. Again, I mentioned earlier they traded Chandler Jones to the Cardinals for Jonathan Cooper, who was a former first-round pick and pretty much fizzled out in Arizona. Um, and a a 2016 pick, second-round pick this season. So now they actually have back-to-back second-round picks. So my initial take on this deal was Chandler Jones, I think his name is bigger than what he puts up. I think that he kind of shrinks in big situations, but he's a solid defensive edge rusher. So they'll definitely miss that. But they do need to re-sign Donta Hightower and Jamie Collins on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that uh, Belichick realizes that those two guys – have far more longevity than the um, than Chandler Jones does, and Chandler Jones is going to try to get paid as an edge rusher, and, and they always do. So, I like the move by the Patriots. To be honest, I, I would have actually the other side of the coin here is let Chandler Jones play out the season and then sign somewhere else, and you get a third round compens- compensatory pick back. But uh, I think Belichick has plans for for the second round. This this. Draft, considering that they did get the first-round pick taken away over to Flategate. Uh, Sean, Luke, what do you I think? Would, I would
2: say that I, I'm pretty sure Belichick heavily scouted Jonathan Cooper. I think that's a reclamation project. Now I know he's got a one-year deal, and it might be a try-it-out. And they might see he might he could have developed a ton of poor habits. Might not be a healthy type guy. Um, you know, just those perennial guys that are dinged up. Um, but I, I wouldn't just throw that. It's not necessarily the, the clear throw in. There's a history of finding these guys, getting them right. They got Dante back to coach the line. I, 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 I think there might be a little bit more to that. I wouldn't write that off just yet.
0: Yeah, you're right, and there's absolutely, obviously, an absolute need for guard um, on that offensive line. We saw the Patriots just got beat up last season in the AFC Championship game against the, the Broncos. So you have a point there. It'll be interesting to see how Jonathan Cooper plays out with them, and if he can turn around and and offer anything, then great. But I think a lot of that was just getting the salaries as close as possible. Uh, the the main The main find in that trade was obviously the second round pick. So in order to replace Chandler Jones, the the pages brought in two guys. They brought in Chris Long, former second overall pick by the Rams, and Shane McClellan, a former first-round pick by the bears. Chris Long has been good. He's been talent. He's talented. He's, he's had good seasons, but the past two years he has been a little bit older and banged up. So unfortunately his production has dipped, but I'll tell you what, following him on Twitter and just kind of seeing how he's already interacted with other players on the Patriots. I think he's going to be a a great fit. Um, Shame. Hopefully if he stays healthy, he'll, he'll have some sort of impact. He, He won't be back to the double digit sack guy and, I'm sure he'll he'll only be come down on passing downs, but I still think he can be a good player for the team. The other guy they brought in was Shay McClellan in free agency. Uh, interesting about Shay McClellan, Belichick loved him in the 2012 draft. But he actually went two picks before Chandler Jones. So so now, after busting out in Chicago, Shane McClellan might be able to come into New England and try to resurrect his career. We've seen that happen before with guys like Mike Vrabel. Um, and, and maybe we Belichick can work his magic with, with Shane McClellan as well. Uh, Burst, do you know anything about Shane McClellan? Have you watched his game at all or even Chris Long? Or- uh, I'm not
1: as familiar with McClellan as I am Long. Um, it seems like these guys all these guys are guys that were targeted by new England a long time ago, didn't make it on onto their team and they don't give up on that. It's they keep those binders around, you know what I mean? And, and they're kind of willing to say, okay, you know, but with what we do here and our success, we might see you later. So, and look, all four of those guys are there. Uh, I don't know about Donald Brown, if that was really somebody that they value being a running back, but, I definitely think that uh, Long and McClellan could make an impact for the for the Patriots this year.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Donald Brown, and and that's that's a narrative that was going around New England. I saw the memes on Facebook, and I just I got sick to my stomach reading them. I was like, Gosh, shut up! I mean, they just see the first round pick in front of these guys' names, and and they get a chubby over it. But the the narrative was take away our first round pick, and we're, we'll acquire four more. They brought in Jonathan Cooper, former first-round pick. Chris Long, former first-round pick. Donald Brown, Shane McClellan. Yeah, these guys are former first-round picks, but either they're older or they've been busts. So, yes, let's hope that Belichick can have some sort of reclamation project with these guys, but relax. There's a reason why these guys weren't re-signed or why they were traded. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think the only locks to make this team are Shay McClellan and Chris Long. Mainly McClellan, uh, he signed a multi year contract and Long because of his role on the defense. Donald Brown signed a one year deal and they re signed Garrett Blunt. So I really think that Brown's ex- expendable and I'd be very shocked if he made the opening day um, lineup. Jonathan Cooper we briefly talked about him you know right now he is fighting for a depth spot on the offensive line Belichick loves having a ton of offensive linemen so he can sub them in and out so I don't think it's a lock he makes a team but I think that there's a pretty good chance that he does make the team. Um, some other signings the Patriots made this offseason. Nate Washington, former wide receiver for Houston. I'm pretty excited about that. I think that he can be a solid wide receiver. I don't think he'd be great, but I think he can be solid. Chris Hogan, another wide receiver who always found a way to not burn the Patriots but have an impact against the Patriots. He's pretty much locked to make the team because he signed a multi-year deal. Clay Harbor, tight end. I wasn't ecstatic about that pick. I thought that it was kind of – He's, he's always been one of those um, athletic tight ends that never really panned out. But we'll see if he can kind of come in as a third tight end and, and make some sort of impact. I think you might see him on special teams. Then there's Terrence Knighton, who's kind of been well-traveled the past two years, went from Denver to Washington, and now he signed a one-year, $4.5 million deal with the Patriots. I'm pretty excited about him. He's probably going to take over the nose tackle or defensive tackle spot for uh, Dominic Easley, who we will discuss in a moment as well. And then my favorite move of the offseason is the trade for Martellus Bennett. I think that having Martellus Bennett and Rob Gronkowski on the field at the same time, you have two guys who are 6'6, 6'7, 250 plus, can both catch the ball, can both run all the routes, are both athletic. I think it's gonna be really tough for defenses to scheme against two stud tight ends. And that's kind of what Belichick tried to do there in Hernandez And Rob Gronkowski years ago, but obviously Aaron Hernandez was into PCP and killing people. So um, (laughs) unfortunately, that didn't pan out. So, so Jerry, what do you think out of those, out of those players, who are you most excited
1: for, um, if any? I'm definitely excited to see Martellus Bennett in a, in double tight end sets. Um, you you create a six man service and then you split somebody out wide with Gronk uh, matched up on a corner. It's a nightmare. How do you defend it? And the way Brady you know can manipulate a defense pre snap and you got a guy like um, Julian Edelman and then Amendola moving around and mo- it's a, it's a matchup nightmare. They really do a great job of that. I mean, there are times last year where they actually lined up in four tight end sets um just to create uh, another matchup they did that a couple times um down the red zone and i thought that was really unique uh the other guy i really like is chris hogan and that may be just a hard knocks bias when he was with the dolphins he just seemed like a a 7-Eleven always open baby that's right 7-Eleven, and then he you know got a chance with the bills and uh he did a good job with them as a a kind of a third uh option um so i don't see if he's going to crack the the you know the 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 depth chart but he's definitely a special teams guy uh, god forbid you know something happens to edelman or amandola again which is consistently happening when it comes to injuries he could fill in i think um maybe not as much juice but he's definitely a sure-handed
0: uh, receiver well, I thought I think they brought in Hogan to take over for Brandon LaFell, and his role as an outside receiver more than the slot. Because, like you said, they're going to have Amendola and Edelman running around the middle there, and they really, really need an outside receiver. And I'd like to see them take one, take an outside receiver with one of the second round picks on Friday, and we can discuss that a little bit later on. Um, but yeah, I think the Martellus Bennett signing's awesome uh he's a target for me in fantasy you're gonna see teams all over gronk and and leaving martellus wide open yeah he he might not be the best fantasy option but he's got a lot of high upside uh the reason why he might not be a great option is just because the amount of targets and if brady is suspended obviously gronk and element are the go-to guys and best case scenario martellus bennett's probably the third option in the passing game so um, he just has a lot of upside being in that offense. And I really hope that he works out with with the Patriots because he does have that, you know, he, he got traded by the Bears because he has an attitude and he's outspoken and he didn't want to be there because they weren't a winning team anymore. So if things start to go sour in New England, I wouldn't be shocked if Belichick immediately cut bait on him because that's just what Belichick does. Yeah, it seems like it's he's got a, a small window here to make this right. work. So we'll see how that goes. He's an older guy, contract year. Hopefully, he's playing himself into another contract, and it helps lead the Patriots back to the Super Bowl. But we'll see. Luke, what uh, you may see with Bennett though is they may
2: limit Gronk's rap, reps the first eight, ten games, and just kind of gear him up and hit him more of a Tim Duncan playoff type player i i i can see you know they've they model after the spurs that that might be something to kind of keep an eye on as the year
0: goes along particularly early on yeah you're right you're right i could definitely see that obviously gronk was great early on uh, in 2015 and then tailed off with that knee injury and and never was right at the end of the season so um i I definitely was awesome in that playoff game though my god Yeah. yeah yeah Oh yeah, the fourth quarter against the uh, against the Broncos was unreal. Absolutely. that touchdown, the back of the end zone. How he kept his feet in in the end zone was just unbelievable. And, uh, the and actually, wide open. Funny funny story about Gronk. I actually saw him uh, at Foxwoods Casino last weekend and he was wearing this sweatshirt that was probably a double XL, triple XL, but was just bursting out the seams because his traps are just frigging massive. I mean, the guy is a physical specimen. They should do studies on him when he dies because what that guy looks like, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And, And for how much he parties and he still can look that way, it's just, he's like the opposite of Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel turns into what looks like a little, coked out frat boy when he parties, but when Gronk parties, he just gets like bigger and bigger. It's like, he actually has beer muscles. He goes to Hulk.
2: Johnny Manziel goes to Gollum. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. So uh, really one other thing I want to touch upon is the running back situation. And we briefly brought it up with Donald Brown, uh, former first round pick. We'll see if he makes a team. I was surprised to see like Eric Blount get re-signed. Belichick loves this guy, which Blunt's been a key contributor for this team. He's just not consistent, and and no running back will be consistent in a Bill Belichick offense with Tom Brady at the helm. Obviously, you want the Patriots' running game is dinking and dunking to their to their slot receivers or the running back out of the backfield. But um, you know, LeGarrette Blunt looked like he was a pretty solid contributor, and he should be a solid contributor again next year. Dion Lewis coming back from a torn ACL it'll be interesting to see if he can if he will come back on the PUP or if he'll actually be able to be healthy in week 1. Brandon Bolden is mainly a special teamer. I have seen him play um, in a starting running back role before and he's just he's just another guy, so I think his his strength is as a as a running back. Uh, is that a special teamer? And then finally, James White was a good scat back while Deion Lewis was hurt last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think the Patriots might take a, a running back in the third or fourth round. There's been talk of Devontae Booker coming to the, to the Patriots, and I think he could be a good fit. So, so we'll see if they approach that position. Um, but I know Sean's got a sleeper for, for running back. Sean, what do you think? Fifth or sixth round, he's a 4-3
2: guy. Five-star running back Keith Marshall, University of Georgia, was the backup, but has loads of potential and fits that Deion
0: Lewis type back to a T. Okay, okay, we'll keep an eye on him, and uh, we'll see if the Patriots end up going that route. So that's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you very much again, Sean, for joining us. Uh, You added plenty of character and plenty of insight into this conversation. We look forward to having you again here soon. To my co-host, Jerry Burris, thank you very much as well for your insightful conversation. Always a pleasure. Uh, And and this is Luke really signing off. But before I sign off, I do want to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at Glory Podcasts. You also check us out on Facebook, Never Ending Glory Podcast. And then finally, on Gmail, uh, you can send us an email with any questions, negpodcast at gmail.com. We also accept hate mail and uh, love letters through that. Welcome as well. it, actually. Yeah. We expect hate mail. We expect hate mail. So, again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, uh, enjoy the sports. Gather some questions, let us know, and we'll do our best to to broach on those subjects and maybe answer some questions on air. Thanks, boys. Thank you.